Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining. Today, my guest Lana Pribic opens up about her life-changing plant medicine ceremony with Iboga, the Mount Everest of psychedelics, and she shares what it's really like to travel to the moon. Lana Pribic is a certified professional life coach and founder and host of the Modern Psychedelics podcast. As a core energy coach, she offers psychedelics-informed life coaching to those on the path. She lives in Ontario and spends her leisure time dancing to electronic music, sitting in plant medicine ceremonies, learning patience from her cat, and reading and growing. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hi, good morning. Good morning. It's so nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Congrats on launching your podcast. I know how hard that can be. (laughs) Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Thanks for inviting me. So tell me, what was your catalyst for exploring psychedelics for therapeutic use? So my relationship with psychedelic substances goes back like 12 years and it didn't start in the context of therapy or healing. It started within a recreational setting and then I was pretty deeply ingrained in like grave culture and all that. And then when I was going through a really hard time, this was kind of when Michael Pollan first launched his book and I kept mm-hmm. hearing about mushrooms and ayahuasca for elevating the therapeutic experience. And I had been working with my first therapist. This was when I was in grad school. So in like my mid twenties for at least a year. So I was kind of on the path of healing and personal development and a big tr- trauma happened for me. I got <laughs> left by my first love. And it was really, really, really challenging for me. I, I think anyone who has experienced that first heartbreak can relate to just how much of your stuff comes to the surface after that because you get into this like, what did I do wrong? How did things go wrong? What can I do better next time? How can I prevent myself from ever feeling this horrible, just pain again? And that like really, really set me off on my path. And the first time I did a mushroom ceremony, my friend held space for me. She's an art therapist, so she's very good at holding space. The first little nugget that I got from the mushrooms was like, oh my gosh, 
oh, he's not doing this to me on purpose. <laughs> and it was just like such a small little insight, but it actually completely flipped the script for me. And from there, I was going to therapy and I kind of hit this wall. And then I started to feel like I had no other choice but then to experience ayahuasca as scared as I was. That's kind of what set me off. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things going on. I don't think I really knew who I was. I was really uncomfortable with myself. I had so much low self-worth. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. It was just like this mess of stuff that had me feeling like I didn't really want to be here. And I didn't know how to be here. And that's really what set me off on my therapeutic healing relationship with medicine. And it's interesting because I bet now looking back, if you could tell your 20 something year old self that it's actually okay to not know what you want to do because we're all trying to figure ourselves out. It's this constant kind of evolution of who you are and the gifts that you have and really uncovering those. So you're obviously going through a traumatic and devastating first heartbreak. What else was going on in your life at the time that led you to even start to think about doing ayahuasca, even though you said you were a little bit scared about it? Ayahuasca was in my consciousness for many years before that, and I kind of knew it was something I wanted to experience at some time, but I don't think my life got unbearable enough until it was unbearable enough. To me, it really felt like this is my only option right now to go down this path because I knew that in that ceremony, I would have to confront myself. I really had to get to a point where it was like, I can't keep going like this. I can't keep living in this way. And I touched on this a little bit, but I was fresh out of grad school. So I wrote a master's thesis under the Department of Food, Agriculture and Resource Economics. My background in school is in economics and business and very analytical. And coming out of that, I was really lost with just what I wanted to spend my life doing. I knew that it wasn't within the field of being economist or any type of analyst. So I was just like really lost. I don't think I really knew who I was. And I think I was like really struggling with being a victim. I really embodied this victim consciousness where I felt like people were doing things to me on purpose, that what's the point? Who am I to even try something else? So it was a whole, whole smorgasbord of just that type of energy. I don't think anything was really going well in my life at that point. (laughs) If I can ask, and if you feel comfortable sharing, what was your childhood like? These feelings of the victimhood, did you feel like it stemmed from some childhood wounds or from some childhood experiences? Yeah, definitely. I think that the way that I showed up in that relationship stemmed from like major father wounds and my dynamic with my dad came out with my dynamic with this man that I was in a relationship with. And the victim consciousness is very much a part of my lineage because I was actually born in former Yugoslavia, um, Mm -hmm. which is now like six different uh, Balkan countries. I was born in what is now Bosnia. And six months after I was born, the Kosovo conflict broke out and the country went into war. So coming into the world with that going on, it put my parents in a place where they couldn't really give me a healthy and supportive upbringing that I'm sure that they wanted to. I know that they absolutely did their best. But at the age of four, we immigrated as refugees to Canada And coming here to this country with like literally a few suitcases and like nothing, my parents had to work so hard to come to where they are now. And I'm so proud of them. But as a result, I felt very unsupported in childhood just because my parents were really consumed with 
starting a new life in a country where they didn't even speak the language. So dealing with a lot of feeling unsupported, not getting my needs met necessarily. And I absolutely don't blame my parents for that anymore. I did a lot of healing around that, but those were kind of the cards that I was dealt. And I think that showed up in different ways in my life. That really resonates because I think there is a shared trauma from immigrants. The immigrant experience, I think, comes with trauma. I was born in Korea and we immigrated here when I was five years old and obviously not under the type of circumstances that you and your parents, but there's a lot of shared trauma just moving to a new country where you don't speak the language, but you also have to try and figure out how to assimilate into a culture that is completely foreign to you. And especially being a kid, it is a very difficult thing to navigate and then to not have the emotional support from your family or from your parents, I think, is a very traumatic experience to have. And you don't even think about it until much later in life when you look back. Because when you're a little kid, you're just going about your day-to-day, just living your life. You don't even have the vocabulary to even express and to even share how it's making you feel. So you're having these feelings of not being enough and feeling like a victim. How did you end up doing ayahuasca? Was there somebody that you knew? How were you introduced to it? And where did you end up doing it? So my relationship with ayahuasca is about four years now. Initially, I actually had a spot outside of Toronto on my radar, close to home. I can drive there in an hour. I had known about this place for a long time, so it just felt natural to kind of go there to start off with. And it was a group that I sat with for like three and a half years, (laughs) just doing a lot of ceremonies. I did 32 sits in three and a half years. Like I was on the train to healing (laughs) for a really long time. Yeah. (laughs) And then just a little bit about the place. They're not direct lineage, but they are, I guess, ayahuasqueros who have been trained within an Ecuadorian tradition and they have connection to a medicine woman in Ecuador and they've been given permission to serve the medicine here. And it was a really, really beautiful relationship that I had with these two women who were leading these retreats. It felt very therapeutic at the same time that it was a medicine experience. And then just recently, I went to Costa Rica to experience my first experience with a direct lineage, these absolutely incredible maestras from Peru who are carrying their family's lineage for about a thousand years. And that was just absolutely, wow, powerful and breathtaking and just uh very different way to experience this medicine. I'm being very called to the Shipibo Mm. medicine now as a result Mm -hmm. because I had a very beautiful experience. Wow. So you've obviously done ayahuasca numerous times. Is there one journey that you can share where you either experience something very mystical and magical or something that may have been a challenging experience? Yeah. For sure. Maybe I'll share a more recent one that really got me to a place where I felt like I was like 90% healed from this loss of love. I was in the ceremony and my ex just kept coming up and I was like, oh my God, like, why do you keep coming up? It's been like three years. And I was getting like so frustrated at myself and had a lot of self-judgment. And I was speaking to one of the facilitators about it and I was like, I'm going to write him an email and I'm going to reconnect with him and like all this stuff. And, you know, I'm going to get in touch and like tell him how I feel. She was like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You can just (laughs) use this medicine experience to like connect with him on a soul level. And she told me to do this visualization and I totally didn't believe in it because I'm not a visualization kind of person. But I was like, okay, I'm going to go with it. Basically, I imagine building a bridge from my heart to him. And kind of meeting him in the middle of that bridge and just saying what I needed to say. I just really spoke from the heart and expressed everything and expressed gratitude and made apologies that needed to be made. And it was so powerful. I think I was in the whole process for about 30 minutes, just like speaking from the heart 
And I was like, just take this in. You don't have to respond to me. And it was in that moment that I realized the thing that healed me was speaking from my heart. It wasn't about like getting over this person. It wasn't about seeing him in a different way. It was about me speaking Mm -hmm. truthfully from my heart rather than locking my heart off because it had been so shattered. So that was right. profoundly healing. And that happened about a year ago in, in um, it was last fall. And what followed after that was just like beautiful, magical experiences with Iboga and ayahuasca. And I feel like that really put me on a new trajectory of like, wow, my heart is really healed. And I feel like mm-hmm. I can live from my heart. How was your body feeling during this? And also, did any messages come through? I'm always curious because I do feel like we're all connected. Did any messages come through or information come through where the reason why he was coming back up again for you so many times throughout your ayahuasca journeys was that you were somehow connected soul-wise from past lives? I'm at a point where, like, if you asked me this question a year ago, I probably would have had a different answer. But I'm at a point right now where after experiencing the boga medicine, something like past lives mm-hmm. that I can't fully confirm for myself is something that I actually don't take super seriously. Just because in with the iboga medicine and under the Bwiti tradition, we're taught that truth is confirmed through the six senses, um, including our right. intuition. And if we can't really confirm something as true through at least three of our senses, mm-hmm. then, you know, take it lightly. So that's kind of my relationship with these past lives. I'm very much concerned about this life and this earth and being this human right now. But I will say that I do absolutely believe that we are souls and that we have eternal souls. And I think within that ceremony, when I connected with him on the soul level, something definitely shifted because as it goes, I ran into this person shortly after that. And yeah. it was the first time we saw each other in many years. And I shared with him my ceremony. And I was like, I don't know if anything shifted for you around September. But I felt like I did a lot of healing for both of us in that ceremony. And he was like, you know what, yeah. that's when I felt ready to see you again. So I think that there was definitely some sort of connection. I do believe that our energies can be intertwined with each other's in ways that we don't fully understand as humans. Mm -hmm. So when you were in the ceremony and you started to feel like you were healing and and releasing and letting go, how did your body feel? Did you feel like a lightness to it? While I was in the visualization, I had had some hape and that just like really put me in my body and I felt my heart very strongly. And then After the visualization was complete, I felt my heart just opening up. I felt so light. It was like a come to Jesus moment for sure. I felt good. I felt like something major had just happened. So you definitely felt the shift energetically in your body. Yeah. Yeah, I did. So you were saying that you were also doing Iboga. So what is Iboga? I think I've only heard about it once or twice. So can you explain what that is and and how that works in conjunction with ayahuasca? Do you take it with ayahuasca at the same no. time? <laughs> no, okay. absolutely not. No, okay. it's, so it's a different it's plant its medicine. Own. So Iboga, you know, I have to acknowledge the Bwiti people from mm. Central West Africa who have shared this medicine with Western civilization and gifted it to us to also explore what it means to be a human. So it's a medicine that is ancient, like more ancient than ayahuasca potentially. It comes from uh, Central West Africa, uh, Gabon, Cameroon, and it only grows in that area. And it's a tree, beautiful tree that produces these bright orange fruits that elephants love to eat. And Mm. the actual medicine is cultivated by uprooting the tree and you consume the root bark. So all the alkaloids that are psychoactive are concentrated in the root bark. So it's typically dried. Sometimes it's not dried, but you actually eat the root bark of the tree. It's very bitter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's usually ground up and you eat the root bark. And Iboga is referred to as the Mount Everest of psychedelics. And it's known for the length of the journey. 
So Mm. when you consume yoga, you're actually in the medicine for 24, 30 hours. Oh my God. It's very powerful. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's so beautiful. And I think like ayahuasca prepared me to receive iboga the way that I did. But iboga was like really the line in the sand for me, the final nail in the coffin, the thing that like really just, you know, my friend Sonia referred to it as her spiritual capstone. And I really relate with that. After iboga, I didn't really resonate with being on the healing journey anymore. I was like, oh, there's nothing there's nothing to heal. The healing journey ended for me when I realized that there was actually nothing to heal and that I'm perfect the way that I am and that there's never been anything wrong with me. Um, And I really got to like meet my soul and call back my soul. Like it was so beautiful. (laughs) And um, I experienced ayahuasca about six months after this iboga journey. And even like the ayahuasca experience, I'm sure it was because it was Shipibo and direct lineage as well, but just that was so beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, iboga is an incredible medicine. There's a lot of sustainability problems with it just because it's it only grows naturally in such a small area and it's actually extremely effective for treating opiate addiction and that's what it tends to be used for in the west however traditionally it's used for psycho-spiritual purposes so the retreat that i did was psycho-spiritual so the iboga experience can you share a little bit about the actual iboga experience once you were in it so I covered this extensively on my podcast. If anyone listening wants to check out, I did like three episodes that go into full detail, but we don't have two hours here. So I'll summarize it for your audience. <laughs> so Iboga falls under the Bwiti tradition and the Bwiti are a group of people and various groups in West Central Africa that have been working with Iboga for m- centuries, potentially even thousands of years. And Bwiti is actually the study of life. It's not a religion. It's a science in a way, actually, because science is just like learning over a multiple um, number of years about how things work. So in Bwiti, we use Iboga to study life. And Bwiti is kind of like the body of knowledge and wisdom that has been extracted um, from the iboga medicine and mm-hmm. so what what's really important about iboga is that buidi and iboga are kind of inseparable they go together so when you are attending a traditional iboga retreat the fire talk is very important and this is where your iboga provider sits with all of the retreat attendees at the fire before you take mm-hmm. medicine and they share the wisdom And it's really simple and direct kind of truths about life on earth as a human, simple but very powerful, that is shared. And then it's encouraged that you actually go into the Iboga medicine experience and kind of confirm those things for yourself. So in Bwiti, we don't really take anything at face value. We confirm things for ourselves. And so you have the fire talk, you learn about all this like beautiful sacred wisdom And then you eat the medicine at the fire and then you're kind of led to your mat. And then it's like, okay, strap in because you're going to the moon. (laughs) Kind of like Bweedy therapy. They kind of give you this pygmy powder, which is this red powder made of 50 different herbs that is created by the pygmy people in Africa who were the first to use Iboga and share it with others. And that actually activates your third eye. So your provider will come by and start tapping on your third eye with the powder on it and he'll look through your third eye and you're wearing a face mask. And my experience was that I could actually see through my face mask into the ceiling and into the night sky. And then they guide you on, it's a big medicine, and then they guide you on a journey to the moon. And when you're on the moon, you can connect with ancestors, you can ask questions, you can connect with your soul. It's really, really powerful and just such an honor that this medicine has been shared with us. It really is just so special. What did you see when you were on the moon, when you were in this experience? And were you able to activate your third eye? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to see the ceiling and then through the ceiling at the night sky. And then, you know, he tells you to like jump up really high and then you're kind of like floating through space. This isn't everyone's experience, but for a lot of people, it does happen. They make the journey. A lot happened on the moon. I saw my grandmother and she's passed and she didn't even say anything. She just hugged me. And it was just like this message that everything's okay and everything will be okay. And that was really special. I actually saw one of my old best friends from when I was younger and things ended really rough with us. And I got to see her and have this like really beautiful moment of closure with her, really attempted to connect with my ancestors. But for some reason, they weren't wanting to connect. So I think think I'm going to give that another shot on my next Iboga journey. It was beautiful. My soul was with me. So I had like this little team that was traveling with me. It was like me and my soul. And my soul, she just wanted to have fun. I was like, focus, we're here to do work. And she was just like flying around. She had these space boots on and this rocket pack on. She was just zooming around and like going from earth to space and (laughs) earth to space. And I kept having to go get her. The meaning that I created from that was I actually just want to have fun. My soul wants me to have fun in life. And I've been really incorporating that. I've been having a lot more fun (laughs) in life. It sounds like you were almost like lucid dreaming. It's so vivid. Yeah. When you were up on the moon, what did it look like? Is it what we would perceive in this kind of 3D reality of what the moon could look like? Or is it different? Yeah. And look, I don't know if I was actually there, if it was a visual. It felt real, like it was vivid. And one of the things that he had me do was look down at the earth and find your childhood home. And then we like went to my childhood home was exploring it and it was so vivid. I could see all the details. Like I used to have this headrest bookshelf thing that I completely haven't thought about for many years. And I was looking at it and I could like see all the books and knickknacks and details. Like it was wild how vivid it was. So you go back to your childhood home and you look for your soul and you find that part of you and you reconnect with it. So you're in ceremony from night, fall to morning to dawn. When morning comes, I was like, what the fuck just happened? That was intense. That was too much. Everything's going 100 miles a minute. I was shaken after that ceremony. I would say it was like a super enjoyable experience. Like you're just in it all night. Yeah. And then when the sun came up and we were kind of allowed to get up, I went to the fire. That's really when the next part of my journey started for me. Like as challenging as the night was, the day was that Mm -hmm. beautiful. I had amazing healing experiences during the day because you're still in the medicine until nightfall. And that contrast of the darkness and just grinding through it was contrasted by just like honestly the best day of my life it was so beautiful I saw this really vivid tiger jumping through the sky and it was an open eye visual so vivid (laughs) where my jaw was just dropped I was like what am I seeing oh yeah tigers I used to love tigers when I was little it was these little pieces of my true self coming back to me And of course, now I really relate to the tiger energy and yeah, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. (laughs) Wow. Oh my God. That's an incredible experience. Intense and long, but incredible. So it lasted, you said 24 hours this first time that you did um, yoga? Yeah. Yeah. And even two days after you can still see like tracers. It is such a hefty, strong medicine. And then you have like a discovery day and then you have a rest day and then you have another ceremony. How was that second ceremony now that you had experienced it for the first time? (laughs) It was so chill. I had no thoughts. I had no questions. I had no answers. My mind was completely clear to the point where I could actually perceive the space in my mind. I could see my mind and how empty it was. So that was like such a contrast compared to the first one. 
Oh my God. So after the second ceremony, you're coming down from the medicine. How did you even start to process and start to kind of reintegrate yourself into mm -hmm. regular 3D life? Like what was your oh process like coming back to the real world in a sense? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty smooth. As soon as we were told ceremonies over, I was like, I need my feet to be on the grass and I want to be by the fire. Mm -hmm. You can't walk on Iboga. You need help. So one of the helpers mm -hmm. helped me walk to the fire. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there for hours. And the that was when I saw the tiger and like, oh my God, the fire was doing crazy things. I was having these open eye visuals. But the retreat center I went to was such a beautiful location that the nature and the environment grounded me so much. And then when I went up to my room, I had to climb these stairs and that was too much for my body. And I actually had this massive purge in my room. Wow. And then after I purged, things started to settle and everything started to come wow. down. And then, so one of the things Iboga is known for is the voice of truth. So Iboga is a mm -hmm. medicine that helps you see the truth. It's truth medicine. And I had access to this knowing and things just started coming in. And I was sitting on my bed and I was crying because I was, oh my God, I understand why my soul separated from me now. It's because I totally cast it aside and my entire life with the immigrant experience I've been trying to be like other people my entire life and no wonder it left me. I didn't want to be me. I wanted to be other people. And that was incredibly healing. And I just sat there on the bed and cried and cried and grieved and all of these insights about nature and the earth and how that's kind of the answer to everything for me. And it was just so clear. Once everything settled down, it was just incredibly clear. And how has your life been transformed by not only the ayahuasca journeys that you've had, but from the iboga experiences that you've had? In what ways has your life changed? Uh, I don't even know where to begin because my life has completely changed. Mm -hmm. I just did an episode, a six months post iboga, like integration follow up, where I actually outlined 10 ways that my life has changed as a result of this medicine. But I can touch on every part of my life. I mean, career-wise, I'm a professional life coach now. I feel so fulfilled and satisfied in my career and my ability to hold space for people and my ability to work with people and support people. Um, I absolutely love doing my podcast. So that area of my life, I'm so fulfilled in. And coming out of a master's degree that I didn't know how to use or if I wanted to use, I really thought that I was going to be miserable in my career, my whole life. And I think that's a result of me going through the journey and me going through the process. I'm able to hold space for people also going through that. My relationship with my family has completely transformed. I have such a new sense of love and gratitude for my parents and everything that they've been through. And I'm in the present moment now. I want to be with them while they are still here. I want to appreciate them. I want to spend time with them. I want to make memories with them. I'm done being resentful and angry at them. I've really released a lot of that. My spirituality has changed a lot after Iboga. I was very much on like the new age spirituality path and the new earth and all of that. And Iboga was like, girl, it's not about the new earth. It's about earth. We're already here. Just look around you at how incredible this earth is. Treat it as incredible as it is. <laughs> and the light and the dark. I think before I thought this journey was about getting rid of the dark and only mm -hmm. having light. And now it's about the duality of it all and how the duality is what actually creates the whole. And right. learning how to hold the light and the dark together without judgment, without fear, knowing yeah. that it's all a part of life. I'm incredibly at peace. I'm incredibly comfortable with myself and mm. who I am. And life is just this journey of learning more about myself, as you talked about in the beginning, and expressing myself and discovering myself and using that as the launching off point to connect with others and the world mm. around me. I 
have completely transformed. I love life. I love myself. I love being here. I'm grateful for all of it. I welcome all experiences. I'm not someone who only has beautiful, happy, positive experiences. It's life. We all go through shit. Yeah. But I welcome it now. And I know that it's all part of the grander scheme of it all. And that if we're presented with a challenge, we can choose to grow from it. And we can choose Mm -hmm. to learn from it. And that's what life is all about for me. I can feel the energy from you. You have such a positive exuberance that I can feel even talking virtually to you. You said your relationship with your family has shifted as well. Did you share with them? Because I'm sure they noticed the change in you energetically. So early on in my ayahuasca experience, I think it was about a year in, I had this ceremony. This whole journey has been such a beautiful journey of authenticity and rediscovering who I truly am, like with the tiger, Mm -hmm. right? I had this ceremony and up until then, I was telling my family that I was attending yoga retreats. I had not started the Modern Psychedelics podcast yet. I was not yet public about these things. And the medicine took me to this place of, okay, your only responsibility in life is to be yourself, to be truthful Mm -hmm. to yourself, to be honest with yourself, and to present yourself to the world in a way that is true. Now, that's super scary. Right. Yeah. Because so scary. Like, ju- <laughs> it's super scary because like the fear of judgment holds us back from being yeah. able to fully do that. We're scared of what people will think of us. We're scared of how people will yeah. react to us. We're scared that we might be rejected, that we might lose family members and friends. But the medicine took me to this place of that's your job is to be you in life. Yeah. How people perceive you and respond to you isn't your responsibility. Like, that's on them. You're not responsible for that. So at this point, and psychedelics were such an important part of my life that I felt like I was kind of a fraud (laughs) by not... By not caring. Like, allowing myself to just be honest with the people that I love about what's important to me. So I went home after that retreat, and the next day I was like having breakfast with my mom and dad and I was like look I have to talk to you guys about something and they got so scared they were like oh my god what like I don't really talk to them in that way and I told them I've been lying to you I've been actually going to these ayahuasca retreats and ayahuasca is this sacred brew from the Amazon and like you puke on it and all this stuff but it's been really helpful for me and they cried and they took it in and they were like so grateful that I shared it with them. And they knew that a year before that, I was in a really bad place. And they were like, we're really happy that you found something that is working for yeah. you and that you're connected with and that is not like an unhealthy thing. Right. Right. So I forget what your original question was and why I was sharing this. <laughs> It was more just, I have to assume that you walked into see your parents and they noticed that there was a shift in your yes, energy. Yeah. So yes. I was just curious as to yeah. what their response was, because yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's palpable. When somebody has an energetic shift like that, you notice it yeah. immediately. There's like something that is coming out of you yeah. that radiates this kind of yes. love and joy and exuberance. Yes. Yeah. So that was the initial coming out to my parents about my medicine work. And I soon launched the Modern Psychedelics podcast, and I've been very public about all of this. Now it just feels natural and normal. I do participate in recreational containers. I go to raves. I take LSD. I take MDMA. I do ketamine. And it feels so good to be able to just be myself and not feel like I have to like lie and kind of do a disservice to myself in in that way. So. Over the years, my parents have really been warming up to medicine. They have microdosed. I even brought my mother to an ayahuasca ceremony because she had a cancer diagnosis. And yeah, she's all better now. Thank God we caught it early. But yeah, she has gone to an ayahuasca retreat with me. And then I will say that after my Iboga experience, that was when she was like, you've changed it's very noticeable how powerful this experience was for you. So they've definitely noticed and it's beautiful to be able to share this with them because it's so important to me. 
Oh my God, that's wonderful that your mom is so open to it that she actually wanted <laughs> to try ayahuasca and did try ayahuasca. Yeah. Because especially our parents' generation and even your grandparents' generation, there's a part of them that probably would want to try it, but then there's a level of fear and judgment. They don't want to be judged, yeah. so they just don't even try it, even though they know deep down yeah. that there is some healing that needs to get done. Wow, that's incredible. Did you do yeah, it with the ayahuasca we journey with her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say, I think she was dealing with a cancer diagnosis, so she was at a place where she was like, I'll try fucking anything. Yeah, it was not yeah. for the physical diagnosis of cancer. It was more so for the mental and emotional suffering yes. she was going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how is she now? How did it change her after she had that um, one ayahuasca oh, experience? God. Yeah, it, it did. really did. Wow. Her integration process has been slow and long, mm -hmm. but she has definitely released control of other people. And it's been really beautiful to see she's much more at peace. I would love to take her to another experience. I actually yeah. really want her to do combo, which I haven't experienced myself, but she has this like physical condition that she's tried everything for. And I'm like, I feel like combo mm. <laughs> would be good for you. But you know how it is. You can't force people. You can plant the seeds and allow them yeah. to make the decisions for themselves. And I'm sure her integration, I can only assume is it's been slow because there's probably a lot to unpack. There's a yeah. lot that she probably has repressed and didn't even realize that she had repressed yeah. like little by little. She went from a war-torn country to having to figure it all out with two little kids mm -hmm. with nothing. Like there was yeah. no time to process. Yeah. There was no time to go to therapy. There was no time yeah. to deal with your feelings. I just have to say thank you to you for starting your podcast three years ago and just being so open and honest about your journey because I do think now more than ever it's so important for people to take the stigma away and to really demystify using psychedelics for therapeutic purposes it's one of those conversations that I think it needs to be had and I just feel like there's so many people who could be helped by it if only they could hear these personal stories from people who are from all walks of life, all professions, all backgrounds who have tried psychedelics and it has it yeah. helped them immensely. I mean, it has really helped them heal in so many ways. Yeah. So absolutely. thank you yeah. for doing your podcast and coming out of the psychedelic closet. First, it was coming out of the spiritual closet, which was a big deal for a lot of people. <laughs> and now it's like coming out of the psychedelic closet and just being very open about having done it and being very open about sharing your experience with people because you just never know. Yeah, you no. never know who's going to be listening. Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. Like when you go to a retreat, just how many different people there are from all walks of life. And especially with yeah. the earth medicines, these medicines are here for a reason for humanity to use, but not mm -hmm. to abuse, to use with reverence, to use with respect yeah. and to use with permission mm -hmm. from the people who have been working with them for many, many, many decades, uh, yes. thousands of years. And I will say that I know your podcast is all about the therapeutic use. Part of my messaging and mission and something that I'm really passionate about is also destigmatizing recreational spaces because mm. I started with psychedelics 12 years ago in recreational spaces and those spaces yeah. have changed my life mm. just as much as ceremonial and therapeutic spaces have. And I'm really passionate about bringing just as much psychoeducation, yeah. intention, integration, attention to set and setting, harm reduction, mm -hmm. safety to those yeah. spaces. Because I know for myself that they can be just as valid, just as healing, just as beautiful as yeah. therapeutic spaces. And sometimes it's Absolutely. okay to just have fun. <laughs> Absolutely. You're absolutely right. For a lot of people, those experiences could be their initial gateway into yeah. psychedelic use yeah. on a pure recreational basis with their friends yeah. in a very fun kind of safe environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so, so, so much to talk about there, which we won't get into. But yeah, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Those are all valid points. 
So what's next for you? Are you going to try a different type of psychedelic for your next experience? Or are you going to stick with the iboga? I actually had somebody who spoke about her experience with peyote. And that was really interesting. And there was also fire. Fire was a huge element in her ceremony as well. Yeah, they usually do it in the mountains, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't had experience with that medicine yet. There's definitely more Shipibo ayahuasca in my future. That medicine called me in at a time where I really thought I was done with ayahuasca. I was like, yeah. iboga is the way. There's definitely mm-hmm. more iboga in my future. Learning how to balance both mm-hmm. is in my future. And I'm actually going to be experiencing a new medicine in the fall in November. I'm going to be sitting with 5-MeO-DMT. Kind of horrified, but I'm also ready. (laughs) I know a lot of people who've done the 5-MeO. I've been hearing a lot about that. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what 5-MeO is? Yeah. So just to give context, I've heard it described as like, if you think of a Christmas tree, Iboga is the roots that run Mm -hmm. deep and 5-MeO is the star at the top. Apparently, they work really nicely together. Now, 5-MeO-DMT is actually a molecule that is found in the Sonoran Desert Toad, Mm -hmm. and its use dates only like 50 years. It's very new. It doesn't have a cultural or anthropological backdrop to it, as far as we know, and it is toad venom (laughs) that is smoked. Now, there is a synthetic version of it that I'm going to be smoking the synthetic version because there are some like ethical issues with the actual toad going endangered from over harvesting and all of that. You smoke it. It's very powerful. And apparently you just blast off. Yes. Like even by the time you have finished inhaling it, you're like already gone. And yeah, it can be very powerful for exploring consciousness, love, the universe, God. So... Whereas Iboga is very earthy and grounded and about going deep within yourself. So I'm excited to see the contrast of that. Well, once you do the 5-MeO DMT experience, I would love for you to come back and share that because (laughs) I have a couple of friends who have done it, but they have not shared their experience yet for the podcast. But I would love to hear about yours. For some reason, I've been hearing a lot about it, just like in the periphery. A couple yeah. of people have mentioned it. A couple of people are looking for uh, a safe space to do it. So yeah. I'm really curious what your experience will be like for sure. I'm kind of scared just because I'm <laughs> such a grounded, earthy person that I'm, yeah. I don't know if I want to blast off into unity <laughs> consciousness where nothing exists. But it'll be an experience. <laughs> But the Iboga was also in the clouds. You went up to the moon. It's hard to explain because it feels very human still. Mm-hmm. Like you're very aware of life on Earth and like who you mm-hmm. are. Whereas mm-hmm. I think with 5-MeO, you lose all sense of ego. <laughs> yes. I have heard about the ego death definitely from 5-MeO. Yeah. And I think you also end up in a different dimension. You really ascend to a much higher dimension when you're on 5-MeO yeah. quickly, very quickly. Yeah. 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 We'll see how it goes. So I'm a professional coach trained through IPAC and IPAC has these set of like foundational principles. And one of them is the best way to teach love is to be love. Mm-hmm. I love that. So my intentions around going into 5-MeO is to really like show me love and teach me how to be love because Mm. love is everything. It's everything. So yeah, that's what I'm going in with. It's so true. It transcends everything. So if you could share one last piece of wisdom, what would you like to share when it comes to psychedelics? Yeah. I always ask my guests this question too, and I'm having a hard time thinking of something. (laughs) I think one of the very common narratives in this world is that there's expectations around how long it's supposed to take to heal, how quickly it's supposed to happen, and what it's supposed to look like. Right. And... I really see this getting in the way for people. Mm. I would encourage people to 
really, really pay attention to any expectations that they might be holding. When expectation is something that feels like it's closed, it feels like this is what I want to happen. Whereas an intention is something that feels very open. There's room for possibility. So I think openness is a quality that I really appreciate in humans. And it's something that's really important to have on this path. It's kind of like strapping on and like being blasted off and like not really knowing where you're going to land. And that takes a lot of trust and faith and strength. But being open for the journey is something that is like really going to serve people. And I really prefer to view this as a path rather than something that's supposed to do something for us. I really see it as a partnership between myself and the medicine. Mm -hmm. And that partnership is like something that I'm in relationship with for the rest of my life. I don't have to be like totally traumatized and healing in order to be in this partnership. Mm -hmm. I think these medicines and substances are very adaptable for different stages of life. And that's for a reason because they're here to support us. So yeah, I think there's a few things there, but uh, that's something that I feel very, very strongly about. No, those are all really great points. And like you said, the medicines are there to support you at every stage of your life if you let them. And to go in with a very clear intention, go in with no expectations, and also be ready to let go. I hear from a lot of people that they are a little bit fearful going into their first experience, whether it's with psilocybin or ayahuasca, iboga, peyote. But your experience will be reflective of the resistance or being able to slowly let go as you're in it. Yeah. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah. And this is coming from the girl who like went into her first ayahuasca ceremony being like, all right, so after this weekend, I'm going to be totally healed. All my problems are going to be solved. And here I am four years later, right? It's It's a process. Yes. And it's definitely not a one and done. I think that's always something that I stress when I'm having conversations with people is that it's not a one and done. Like you said, it is an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing kind of unraveling and processing every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Of working with these medicines, right? With them. They're they're not working for you. You're working with them together. Mm -hmm. Well, Lana, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I've just really enjoyed getting to know you and hearing about all of your journeys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you again for sharing and being so open and vulnerable. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me. So please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So let me know what resonates for you. Until next time, take care. Eh.